Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Geek Town Radio. This week I have with me Andrew. Hi everybody, episode 97. Can you believe it? <laughs> no, no, we're getting very close to 100, so, you know. No. <laughs> Speak, speak, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, despite what what a lot of some of my co-hosts say, I am not that old. <laughs> so, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. Doing fine, and I have in my possession an Amazon Prime one month free trial. Awesome, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, perhaps later on you can explain the the terminology shift on the Amazon entries on the website because it, it, it has gone from being confusing to actually making sense now. <laughs> yes, yeah. We did a, a slightly alter the the way that we're referring to the Amazon shows on the website because we had them as Amazon Prime Instant Video, which was far too long before. This just um, rolls off. Um, yeah and uh amazon haven't entirely settled on what they're calling it but uh we've we've basically taken the decision to change it so amazon prime stuff things that are in with the amazon prime subscription are called amazon prime on the website if it's something which is available on, on amazon and not anywhere else but you have to pay for it it's described as amazon instant so that's the difference. There aren't many shows that are Amazon Instant. I think the originals is one, but th- there are very few shows that are that, that go on like that usually. Um, yeah. Usually yeah, and, that, and that makes it much easier than the four word yeah. uh, cumbersome thing that we used to that we used to have. Yes. And, and that, in answer to the question that somebody asked, that is why some of the entries may have uh, yeah. suddenly suddenly become no broadcaster no. there may be some residual ones that we've missed but these will get corrected yes yeah as we come to them so if um, it's, not, it's not that they've suddenly been dropped it's just that the the programming behind the, the scenes has changed <laughs> yeah yeah so if you if you were know something's on amazon prime usually and it's showing us no uk broadcaster then that's probably just an error and we will point it out and we'll fix it so uh, what TV shows have you been watching this week? With my shiny Amazon Prime free month, I have been watching The Grand Tour. And again, as ever, I'm the last person in Britain <laughs> watching it. Yes. And I have you seen it? Have you seen bits yes, of it? Yes, yes, yes. I've, I've yeah. seen everything with the latest episode, I think I've seen. Right. Well, I'm, I'm up to the Christmas episode now, which is Finland. And uh, I'm mixed. I think some of it represents Top Gear at its best, but I'm not too sure about the kind of post-watershed tomfoolery 
Yeah. That, uh, th- there was something to be said for the BBC's input in terms of toning down. Some, some of the jokes are verging on adult, which yes. is fine, but it's not really what I expected. And it, it's a bit cringeworthy, I think. Yeah, we, we had... We we sort of slightly had that issue over Christmas when I had to point out to my brother that it probably wasn't appropriate for my uh, two nephews who are seven and ten to be watching the uh, watching the Grand Tour, even though they would have been fine watching Top Gear. So yeah, yeah um, it, I, that that is slightly difficult, and I, I understand that they're doing it that way because it may become more natural to them and because they can because it's on Amazon but it, it does cause an issue for people that love them on Top Gear particularly the younger audience so yeah quite but I you know it, it, it is enjoyable and that's why I got it but, but obviously if I can get through it in less than a month <laughs> uh, there's there's a number of other Amazon nuggets to pick up namely well, some of them some of them will come up against uh, in, in the list later Sneaky Pete I think is one yes um, the man and in the sand, no, not sand castle. <laughs> the, the, the high castle, castle. yeah, yeah, um, as well, and and probably a few more. So um, definitely making the most most of that. But what I did discover, and it's not it's not entirely TV related, but I did discover obviously with the Prime membership you get super fast delivery, but you also get music. Yes, but you don't get all of the music. You get some no. of the music. Yeah, uh, and if you pick a band, for example, what tends to happen is a couple of their albums might be on Prime Music, but if you want the rest of them you have to pay a further seven pounds 99 a month for something that's called is it music unlimited I yes think it's, it's prime uh, music unlimited so. and from a marketing point of view that's brilliant from a user point of view that's annoying yeah it is kind of annoying um i mean i've got the same sort of thing i actually end up i've actually ended up cancelling my um spotify account and just using the amazon prime music not the unlimited prime music that i wish they sort their naming conventions out <laughs> but uh but yeah oh my God. yeah i mean amazon's brought a lot to the table but clunky terminology is not their <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Well, clunky terminology is their strong point but... <laughs> yeah um so yeah, you, that's music that's music and back to television yes yeah so uh what else anything else you've been watching and not since the last no not uh timeless i think i spoke about that last time i'm really yeah. enjoying timeless yeah one of the better new programs that have started recently um and i think um, what's the, the next big one that i'll be returning to and i dare say you will be as well is homeland yes yes which is coming up later this week so which yeah so we'll come to that with with the uh, the air dates bit but yeah. um yeah and, and as i said planet as one i said to you earlier off off um off air yeah air was planet earth 2 which i'm catching up on um and with the children and that is magnificent yeah i've got to get to that yet i i have it recorded there's just been so much other stuff that i wanted to get through that i haven't quite got back to it or you know got onto it yet so um, there does be a lot not only is there a lot on at the moment but there's a that you know in the next few months there's a lot coming up that yes. is all pretty high quality stuff yeah there is an awful lot which is surprising for january they really seem to gone for it this year because usually January is, I mean, remember we've had years in January where there's just been nothing on, and we're certainly not short of entertainment this year. <laughs> so no, definitely, and that, and yeah, exactly. And speaking of January, of course, New Year's Day was marked the return of Sherlock. Yes, which had just which, finished last night as well. Yes. Well, it was, and it was leaked. 
onto the yes. onto the worldwide internet web, um, Apparently, which yes. was yeah. Um, there there are think- investigations going on apparently to find out what happened, but uh, yeah, that's that's very unfortunate. What did you think of it? The new series, I really didn't like the first episode. Uh, nope. I thought the second episode was good, and I thought the third episode was. I, I I liked the third episode as well, and I thought it was a reasonable way to finish it if they are finishing it and they haven't confirmed that. But they're obviously the way it ends. They're obviously thinking they could wrap it at that point if they need to it may be that it comes back it's just it's getting harder and harder to actually get those two guys in the same room i think well i think i agree with you on the first episode the the thatchers i mean i I, halfway through i found and and sherlock's really a program that you have to concentrate on it's not one that you can uh, double screen on i don't think no no um, and I found myself looking up the dates of Royal Navy battles on Wikipedia <laughs> on my iPad um, instead of actually watching the program. And that is not usually... No. That's, that's not a good sign. No, no. The problem is that... You know, no, no offence to the actress that plays her, but I really didn't like the character of John's wife at all. No, no. I found her kind of irritating and it sort of put a third wheel on something that didn't need it. And I think it was much better when it was just back to the two of them and they were doing more kind of investigation stuff and there were darker stories. I I think, yeah. I, I mean, ultimately she served quite a good purpose in creating tension between the two of them, which is good. But I'm sort of glad she's gone now. So, <laughs> hey, I haven't seen the second half of it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I don't need to now. Yes. Uh, uh, oh. Sorry for anybody that hasn't. I imagine everybody that was in the first episode. So I imagine everybody's seen that. So yeah, I mean there was Sherlock, which uh, which has been back. There was another show. There's an Amazon show which I mentioned, not an Amazon, a Netflix show which I mentioned last week called Travelers, which is by Brad Rice, who's one of the people that uh, wrote Stargate. Stars Eric McCormack from Will and Grace and various other places. It's twelve episodes the first season, and I've now watched all the way through it. But it's it's really good. It's a Netflix show. It's a co-production with one of the US networks. I think it might be Showtime. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a time travel drama in that you have a group of people that you're watching basically present day and this death clock pops up on the bottom of the screen and it's counting down to the person on screen who is about to die. And just before the event that kills them befalls them they start holding their head screaming and then wake up with an entirely new personality managing to stop themselves from being killed and quite a high concept yes it's a reasonably high concept and what is actually happening is in the future there is sort of way into the future that there is a catastrophic event which basically destroys life on or you know life on earth and everybody's living underground in bunkers and what they've figured out a way to do is not send people back in time but send consciousnesses back in time and the people in the future are using sort of things like facebook and other social media to find out the exact points that people have died and then 
just before the point of their death, they're jumping into the bodies of those people and stopping the death and then taking over their life. And there are multiple people that are doing this and they're working as kind of secret cells within the current time period, which is set now, basically, and working on ways of trying to stop this catastrophic future. So it's really nice idea. there's, There's bits of Battle Royale... Terminator yeah. uh, 24 and you know oh my god they killed Kenny in there <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it, it's bits of it's it's taking inspiration from all over the place and making something really cool yeah it is um, sounds, yeah it's it's well worth watching it's really good i mean i binged my way through pretty much the entire series in about probably a week week and a half right um, just watching episode after episode i really really enjoyed it so uh it's called travelers it's on netflix worth going to check out it's a very boring name for something that sounds so interesting though it is it is it's sort of flying slightly under the radar that show but it it needs to be highlighted more because it's a really good series is it is is it a net is it one of the netflix ones that will only be available on netflix or is it one of the ones that will ultimately come out on disc it may come out on disc because it is a co-production it's it's not one that netflix have bought in it is a co-production with i think it's showtime but it's a u.s network so i suspect at some point it will come out on disc and even the netflix own ones do come out on disc eventually i mean you can get daredevil on disc now so right um so yeah there's there's that on netflix over on amazon uh sneaky pete which we mentioned earlier which i've talked about on and off for for the last few weeks uh second episode of that in fact the whole series is up online but i watched the second episode of that and that's really good about about a guy who uh he's running away from a mob boss played by brian cranston and takes over the life of his cellmate who is estranged from one half of his family so he goes and looks up that half of the family and they are bail bondsmen so he sort of slots himself into that role essentially as as using his knowledge his sort of sneakiness and knowledge of of uh he was a con man so using his con man knowledge as a way of trying to catch people that are jumping bail it's good that's really good it was developed by brian cranston as well so mm-hmm. that's one definitely worth watching out for there is a new sitcom called the great indoors which uh, about about you <laughs> yeah well kind of it's uh yeah it's about a guy who uh he's far more outdoorsy than me but yeah it's about a guy who who basically works in the outdoors and gets told that the magazine that he works for is no longer going to be a print magazine it's going to be a web only magazine and he has to come in and basically babysit the millennials in the office that are the web development team who have this kind of passing notion of what the outdoors is but they're all their articles are kind of clickbaity sort of you know the stuff that you hate they're like top 10 lists and clickbait articles and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. so um the first episode is okay it's also um it's got stephen fry in it as well i should mention um the first episode was all right it's not sort of as funny as i'd like uh, i think they may be settling into the characters a bit so i i want to see a few more of them to to judge properly right. but the first episode was sort of all right i would say but it's on itv2 if you want to go and look for that it's called the great indoors stars joel McHale as the lead in that from community and uh, stephen fry plays his boss in it so it's perfectly okay 
but I wouldn't go much further than that at the moment. I, I want right. to see a few more of it and see how it picks up, you know. So the uh, the last two shows I watched, A Series of Unfortunate Events, the Netflix show. Which, which is not which is not a de- documentary about the year 2016. <laughs> no, no, it is not. Um, a Series of Unfortunate Events stars Neil Patrick Harris as uh, Count Olaf, and it's about the... It's it's based on the uh, Limony Snicket book, mm-hmm. Um who in Limony Snicket not being a real person, he's um, a pseudonym for a guy called Daniel Handler. It was funny when the title sequence goes up, it says based on the books by Limony Snicket, screenplay by Daniel Handler. (laughs) Same person. (laughs) It's exactly the same person. Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events on Netflix. It's... uh, recounts this tale of three orphans called Violet, Klaus and Sonny and Sonny's a baby and uh, they their house burns down and they get put into the care of this e- evil guardian called Count Olaf which is played by Neil Patrick Harris. It's narrated by Lemony Snicket throughout uh, played by Patrick Warburton I think his name is. Um, mm. Both of the guys are just brilliant in it. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris is usually fantastic, but uh, he he also th- sings the theme tune for it, which is called Look Away, which is worth looking up on its own if you've not heard the theme for it yet, because that's brilliant. They managed to get songs into it. Have you ever seen the Jim Carrey movie? Cause well, I was going to... Yes, I have, and I was going to ask how it compares. I've never, I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan, so I've never seen it. I'm told that the difference is the Jim Carrey movie is basically Jim Carrey playing a Jim Carrey character. Well, that as as in as in every film, yeah, as in everything. Whereas this is Neil Patrick Harris plays it very very dark. I mean, he's still funny, but it is a much darker character. It would seem to be appropriate for younger children i would have said as well i mean it's weird and bonkers and might be a little bit scary in places but i i would say this is probably age appropriate for for a younger audience yeah um, I mean, doctor doctor who's scary rather than the yeah. walking dead, the walking dead scary yeah and uh, but it's also funny as well i mean i, right. I there's nothing it, it's not it's not out and out scary i think some younger audience members might find it a little bit creepy but i think it's it's really well done, interesting, th- just brilliantly put together. I've only watched the first two episodes so far, so I'm I'm working my way through it. But mm. it it's a, one definitely worth looking up. And as I say, I think it's watchable as a family. Okay. So that could be quite a good one if you've got younger children. Okay. And finally on the TV shows this week, I got to see a preview of Legion, which is the new Fox show based on... It's sort of an X-Men related title. It centers around a guy who hears voices and he is actually an X-Men character. Uh, It's a guy called David Haller. He's diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Most of the first episode is set within an asylum. When you hear something is an X-Men spinoff, there is a certain vibe that you expect it to kind of have. You expect it to be quite, you know, him to get broken out of the asylum really on in the episode and join up with a band of other mutants and, you know, it'd be all action. And it's not that at all it really isn't pretty much the entirety of the first episode is spent inside that asylum and it's weird and strange uh funny as well it's just not at all what i expected it to be but i really really enjoyed it okay it's i, I was confused as to what it actually was because of course there's a film called legion 
that stars the British actor who plays <laughs> yes. Jarvis in um, yeah. The Avengers. No, it's, it's unrelated <laughs> to that, yes. Right. Um, okay. Unrelated to that. In the comic books, I believe Legion is the son of Professor X. I think he's an illegitimate son of Professor X, if I remember correctly. So David Heller is a character who apparently has been struggling all his life with sort of some form of mental illness. He's diagnosed with schizophrenia. He's been in and out of psychiatric hospitals. It turns out that the voices he's hearing in his head might actually not be quite as imaginary as he actually initially thinks. Right. So it's still not entirely clear what his power is, other than he seems to be able to control some things with his mind, which you'd expect if he is the son of Professor X. So uh, that that appears to be what his power is. But in terms of the tone of the show, I really wasn't expecting what it ended up being, because I was expecting it to be kind of X-Men action drama type thing. And it's not. It's, It's a far stranger kind of comedy yeah almost comedic there is action in there but it, it's much weirder than i thought it would be well it's good to be kept on your toes and and, and and surprised once in a while isn't it yeah yeah um but i i really i'm trying to sort of tread carefully and not spoil anything for for people because it doesn't come out until the 9th of february over here uh mm-hmm. so you know i and in fact it, it i it's, it's probably that sort of time in the US as well. It's it's not been released at all. I just got a preview copy of it. So it's an interesting one. It's going out on Fox in the US. I'm going to be very interested how it sits with a mainstream Fox audience because it is quite odd for what is a mainstream TV show. If it was on something like HBO, you'd go, okay, that's fine because it sort of makes sense on somewhere like that on mainstream channel like fox i'm i i don't know how well it's going to sit but i really enjoyed it though it's well worth looking at okay want to watch out for yes definitely uh with that all out of the way let's move on to the film and tv news So first news story this week is a DC-related one, and it was the announcement that Matt Ryan is returning to the character of Constantine. Unfortunately, not in live action. Um, It's going to be an animated series. Now, we knew he was actually coming back to Constantine because they've already announced they're doing a Justice League Dark like animated feature, and he was going to voice it in that. But they've now also decided that uh, they're doing a Constantine series. Whether we'll get to see it over here or not, I don't know. But um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get to see it at some point. Mm. So it's not the live action show we were hoping for. It's only him doing the voice. It's airing on CW Seed in the US, which is also airs uh, Vixen, which is another kind of DC Belanti related spin-off. And this is coming from Greg Belanti as well. So it will tie into that universe. So it's possible you may see some of the DC Belantiverse characters pop up at some point. Does that mean there's now effectively three different versions of Constantine then on screen? Film, a TV series, and now an animated Yes, um, but the, the, the animated one is essentially an animated version of what was Matt Ryan's TV show, I guess. Um, the the original film, the Keanu Reeves film, I think is is entirely unrelated. So you can sort of forget about that one at this point. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's been developed by Greg Palanti along with David Escoya, who's behind the live action TV series that went out on NBC before they cancelled it. The nice thing about this is it keeps Constantine alive in that universe. I mean, if if you remember Vixen, 
who is now on um, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, started off as a character as, a, as an animated character. That's when they first introduced her, and then she popped up on an episode of Arrow, and then they brought the character back, albeit with a different actress in legends of tomorrow the only reason it was a different actress was because the fact that the that they they had this thing where they rather than because it's a time travel show they actually picked up the character that being in arrow and that does the cartoon series they used her grandmother on the show having gone back in time to meet her so uh, and the only reason for that was the actress that plays her on the show was doing a play and couldn't do it so right uh, so that was how they got rounded because they wanted to add Vixen to Legends of Tomorrow. So it, the nice thing is it, it it does keep the character alive within that universe. CW president uh, Mark Pedowitz was asked if Constantine would show back up in live action and responded by saying, at this point, there are no plans to. I would love to have Matt. I think he does a great episode in season four. Matt adds a dimension to the show as the character. And I I think that's very true. I would like to see Constantine back. I would love to see them do something else with that character on screen in live action. But who knows? Maybe he'll turn up again. That would be good. I think they could, uh, yeah, and it could cross over with the other ones in due course. Yeah, possible. yeah. They don't have a pure magic-based live-action show. Uh, I mean, they've introduced bits and pieces to it in Arrow, but I, it would, I'd would i like to see them do Constantine as part of that team or do a Justice League Dark TV series. Um, Justice League Dark is basically a magical version of the Justice League, essentially. Right. And they are doing an animated series based around that, but I, I would like to see a live-action series based around that. I think it could be very cool. Moving on, we've got a couple of bits of uh, news from FX Network in the US. Two of their shows have been delayed until 2018. American Crime Story, which is the follow-up to People versus O.J. Simpson. Not um, to be confused with American, American Crime. Crime. Yes, which is an entirely different show. Yes. Um, <laughs> but American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson, the follow-up to that, which is based around Katrina, that has been delayed until 2018. And Donald Glover's Atlanta comedy series, which is brilliant if you've not seen that, by the way, that's been delayed until 2018 as well. The reason for Atlanta being delayed is very simple. Uh, Donald Glover doesn't have time to do it. <laughs> that's, that's basically it. Uh, he's just been cast as Lando Calrissian in the Han Solo movie. So that really kind of takes him out of the running for being able to do anything at the moment. Over on American Crime Story's side, there are a few issues that are holding that up. One of them is lack of material. It's basically taking them longer to write than People vs. OJ was because People vs. OJ, they had a book called Run, The Run of His Life by Jeffrey Tubin, which was kind of the backbone for the whole show. There isn't that sort of document that they can refer to for Katrina so they're having to do a lot more background research so that's one of the things that that's uh, delayed it the other issue is a practical one because they basically want to shoot it obviously in New Orleans which is where the main things with Katrina happen the problem with that ironically is there's a lot of hurricanes in New Orleans and a lot of problems with weather. And a production company can only get insured at certain seasons, which are the non-hurricane seasons, to go and shoot down there. Because of that, that's delaying when exactly they can go and shoot. The the irony of a TV show about a hurricane being delayed because of hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, because of hurricanes and tornadoes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, so yes, there's there's that. They they are also going to be shooting the third season of American Crime Story, which is based around the murder of Gianni Versace. That's actually going to be filmed before Katrina is filmed, but will air six months after it. But they're going to film it first because they can film it first. So. Mm-hmm. No. Fewer hurricanes in Florida, I yes, suppose. Yes, fewer hurricanes. Well, yeah, not necessarily, but yes, yes, slightly fewer hurricanes in in that in where they're they're going to film that. So you know, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, the, both shows have been huge shows for FX. I mean, uh, Atlanta picked up two Golden Globes last week. American Crime Story has picked up two Golden Globes. It picked up a whole armful of Emmys. They're expecting Atlanta to do well at the Emmys too right, so right. The, they are shows that they're going to be very keen to come back it's a serious it's just really just a case of they can't do um they just can't get the production sorted fast enough they also have renewed um american horror story for two new seasons as well that's the other thing for, for fx i never really quite oh, and i was never really particularly interested in the synopsis for atlanta but donald glover you know fantastic fantastic actor yeah and that might be enough to do it for me um just to, just to get in and then get into the, the story but he's going to be lando calrissian who is okay i know there are fans of han solo out there but in the star wars universe to me lando calrissian billy d williams the coolest character in oh, yeah. the whole star wars world without a doubt and i would love to see billy d williams back on screen in some uh, you know obviously mm. really looking forward to to, to um, donald glover playing the younger one but if there was a way i mean you know yeah. if there was a way of getting billy d williams back as lando carizian i know last time we spoke i was going on about getting william shatner back in star trek um, <laughs> yeah but uh, well i mean lando's lando's still around as far as we know in the later movies, so yeah, it's not well, impossible. It, it is, it is. He wasn't he, killed he off at any point, so. No, you never know. So you, you never, never know. He may turn up. So moving on from that, the other big announcement of a new show, or of a new old show, mm-hmm. um, The Crystal Maze is returning mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a new series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't sound <laughs> impressed by this. <sighs> It's not going to have Richard O'Brien, and it's not going to have people in shell suits. Uh, it, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I remain to be impressed. I suppose. I, well, I, did you see the Stand Up for Cancer special? That uh, they did? Yes, and I take it you didn't like that. I didn't. I didn't not like it, but it, I, I have very fond memories of the original one. Yeah. No, uh, me too. Uh, okay, granted, which is uh, probably more than twenty years ago now. But Richard O'Brien's still around. Yeah, but he is he is pushing eighty <laughs> this fight. He's seventy-four. <laughs> <laughs> he was always very athletic. <laughs> yeah, you, but well, I, I don't think you can expect the poor guy to go running round a base like he used to. <laughs> well, I don't know. My goodness. David Attenborough was at the top of the shard and he's ninety, you know. He's old enough to be Richard O'Brien's father. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, fair enough. But it it, it will be a lot of running around, and uh, yeah. they've they've got a new host, which is uh, Richard Ayoade. At least it's not Dara O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. Who presents everything? But I, I think Richard's a fantastic choice for that. He's weird, and what you know, he he's a, sort of the level of weird you need to be to present that show, I think. Yeah, so I think yeah. he's a very good choice for it. I mean, I um, I think Stephen Merchant did a reasonable job 
on Stand Up for Cancer. I thought that was good. But I, I think Richard Arawadi is a is a really, really strong choice for that. The reason that they've recommissioned it is because that special got a consolidated audience of 4.3 million viewers, which is fairly sizable for Channel 4. They've commissioned 20-hour-long episodes with Richard Awadi uh, hosting. There's also going to be a set of celebrity specials for Stand Up For Cancer as well. You just wonder what zones they're going to have this time. The, well, the social media zone, the Kardashian <laughs> zone. They have, they have said, well, I don't know. I don't know whether they're going to change the zones. The original zones are Aztec, Medieval, Industrial and Future. So whether they'll carry that on, I don't know. They are building, like the, the special was shot in the Crystal Maze experience in uh, London. There's also one in Manchester. If you actually fancy trying out the Crystal Maze yourself, you can go and book, like get a bunch of friends together and go and book those. But there's one in London and one in Manchester, both slightly different, so you could do both. They actually used the London one as the set for Crystal Maze Stand Up For Cancer show. They're actually now going to build a completely brand new set in Bottle Yard Studios in Bristol. It's a new maze spanning over 30,000 square feet, and it's been created by the same original crystal maze designer, a guy called James Dillon. So I think that's good, because one of the complaints that people had was it looked a little bit tacky in places, the maze that they were using for the stand-up for cancer. But that's, I mean, more a criticism of the crystal maze experience than, uh, and I, yeah. I thought it looked great, but you know, I, uh, that, that was some of the comments I read online. Whereas, you know, if they're building the whole thing from scratch, it'll be high, very high production, like, you know, HD quality, I imagine. So yeah, the original was, was, wasn't exactly high budget stuff. No, uh, either so you don't want you want it to be a bit more star wars than star trek i think yes yeah so i don't know we'll we'll see it's going to air they apparently later in um 2017 so i imagine they're going to bring it back in the autumn but um yeah that's that's what to watch out for i'm I, i'm rather more looking forward to that than possibly andrew is so <laughs> we'll, 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 speak, we'll speak again once it's been on i may i may change my mind yeah yeah so with that out of the way, next up we have an interview. The interview this week is with film producer Shea Kammer. Shea is a US-based line producer. He currently has three films in Sundance out of a potential 16 that were selected for the festival. So that, that's pretty good going. The films are, are one called Yellowbirds, which is about two young soldiers in the Iraq war. That features Alden Ehrenreich and Jennifer Anderson is also in that movie. There is a drama called to the Bone, which is a in- intimate look at anorexia, which stars Keanu Reeves and Lily Collins. That's slightly funnier than it sounds. That film because <laughs> it, it's it's written by uh, Buffy alumni and uh, I, what else she done Unreal as well. Uh, Marty Noxon, who is an amazing writer and quite quirky. So that's the the log line for that. We talk a bit about that in there. Uh, and there's also a film called Newness, which stars Nicholas Holt and Courtney Eaton, who are two millennials navigating a social media-driven hookup culture, and they begin a relationship that pushes both emotional and physical boundaries. Shear's credits include Oscar-nominated films such as American Hustle. He worked on uh, Kevin Smith's Red State, on Seth MacFarlane's Million Ways to Die in the West, in the TED movies, and many, many other movies. So we talk about the upcoming Sundance films. We also talk about how it's 
what it's like working on smaller indie movies compared to some of those big budget blockbusters. He also explains what a line producer actually does, which is something which, because it's one of those things that comes up in a credit and you kind of go, what's that? So here's the interview we share. We'll see you afterwards with some dates. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Excellent, David. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for coming on and spending a bit of time to just talk about your work and your life and the films that you've got coming up and that sort of stuff. So thanks so much for calling. It's exciting to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You've got three films that is it three films that are coming up for Sundance? Is that right? I know you've yes. definitely got two. Yes, three. Yeah, there's uh three features. The third was a very late edition, but it was just announced earlier this week. Uh yeah. Yeah, and uh, a film uh, directed by Drake Doremus that we just in perhaps the history of well, certainly the, my career the, the quickest uh, from script to screen uh, I've ever seen we, wow. we I got called in uh, September about uh, this little project Scott Free which is Ridley Scott's production company yeah, yeah, yeah. who had done equals with with Drake uh, had this little passion project that he and his writing partner, uh, Ben York Jones had been sort of working, working, on in secret. And, uh, you know, the timing kind of worked out. There was going to be another, another bigger film that Drake was going to do that got pushed to next year or to this year, 2017. Yeah. And they said, you know, what the heck, let's try and let's try and get this done in the back of our minds thought maybe we'd have a chance at Sundance, but you know, by the time we got casting sorted out and the financing put together, we realized, Oh, there's no way in hell we're ever going to make it in time for Sundance. I mean, we were starting production in October to wrap in November, which would have given about six weeks of post-production. And, uh, Lo and behold, with they, you know, the film's gotten finished with about six weeks of post-production. So <laughs> wow. So uh, yeah, now that's that's the third film in, in Sundance this year. So, so very excited about that. Yeah. So that that one's newness. Um, that's correct. Yeah, that's newness. That stars uh, English lad Nicholas Holt. He's in that, isn't he? He's yes, yes, uh, and a wonderful Spanish actress uh, named Laia Costa who was in a, a Spanish film called Victoria last year that she got some uh, notoriety for. And she was just uh, fantastic in this film. I'm really excited to see it, uh, you know, the sort of final, the final form of it uh, when it premieres next week. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. So that one's newness. That's about a couple of millennials who are navigating, according to the synopsis anyway, two millennial, millennials navigating the social media-driven hookup culture that begins a relationship that pushes both emotional and physical boundaries. Is, that, <laughs> is the synopsis that's, for that one? <laughs> it sort of sums it up. It's very much, I'd, I'd like to think of it as almost 
almost a sort of spiritual successor to Like Crazy, okay. which was the film that kind of put Drake on the map uh, that actually premiered at Sundance in 2011. Right. Uh, in much the same way, it's kind of a sprawling relationship drama where we track this couple from, you know, they meet, they fall in love, there's ups, there's downs, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, a, a good period of time. And just really, you know, analyzing at the granular level what makes a relationship tick, what, you know, how do people handle relationships with the, the twist on this one being, you know, in this age of Tinder and all these hookup apps, yeah. which have completely changed the dating game for at least for young unmarried people uh, yeah. like myself. Um, <laughs> you know, how does, how do you navigate relationships when, you know, going on a date can be as easy as, you know, buying something on Amazon. It's like yeah. you click two buttons and next thing you know, you're going to hook up with somebody. How yeah. does that trans translate into, you know, forming real meaningful relationships with people? Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, that's, that's newness. Uh, you've also got two others. You've got uh, the yellow birds one mm -hmm. as well. I mean, that's a very different sort of film. That's the interesting thing is all three films are very, very different. Wildly different. Yes. So yeah, you, the, the yellow birds is about uh, two young soldiers and the, in the Iraq war. And that's uh, got Eldon Ehrenreich in it, who's just been cast as Han Solo as well. Yes, so that was a very exciting day for us uh, yeah. when, when he got cast as Han Solo. Uh, you know, I don't know, him and Ty Sheridan had sort of these secret meetings uh, about future projects that we never quite knew what was uh, being cooked up. And it was shortly after we wrapped, the announcement came that wow. he'd been chosen as Han Solo, which, uh, you know, we could, couldn't be happier for him. He was such a such a stand-up guy on our show, and to see him, I don't know if you've seen him in uh, *Hail Caesar*, the latest Coen Brothers yes. movie. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. He, yeah, he was the standout of that for me, and you know, to go from *Yellow Birds*, which is a fairly uh, dark, stoic performance, very uh, internal. And then I I wrapped Yellowbirds. The first movie I saw afterwards was Hail Caesar, and to see him play this sort of brilliantly dopey cowboy actor, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean that's when I knew this this guy was going far. Yeah, uh, just because the the breadth of performance there was was pretty fantastic. Yeah, we had a really great cast on Yellowbirds, and yeah, that was. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, you mentioned Ty Sheridan there as well, who's uh, just he's the, the lead in uh, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One as well. Exactly. And that so, was that was his sort of secret audition that yeah, he yeah. was having during our during our shoot. So, you know, both of those guys booked pretty high profile uh, geek films, yeah, you yeah. know early after wrapping a, on our movie. We shot that one in a majority of it in Morocco. Uh, right, outside. okay. Marrakesh, which was uh, sort of a fantastic experience for for all of us, really. I mean, yeah, it was it was definitely. I brought my whole family out there, so I had two toddlers uh, exploring <laughs> wow. the wilds of Marrakesh while I was out in the desert, you know, filming tanks and explosions. <laughs> wow. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the cast on that's pretty impressive. I mean, you've got uh, Jennifer Anderson as well, uh, Tony Collette, Jason Patrick on there. Yeah, Jack Houston is a very big role in it. Oh, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for what is essentially, I mean, they're, they're all kind of indie films, but, you know, that's that's got a fairly big cast. And, yeah, it, you, you managed to grab two guys that were right on the cusp of. of going really really hitting big as well which is quite good yeah yeah it was it was exciting it's it's interesting because you know the definition of indie film is sort of so broad and we did not have a huge budget at all for it i mean it was you know under 12 million which seems like a lot except when you take into account that we're you know filming a war movie with you know big battle scenes and armies you know marching across uh, the desert it's a, it's a lot you know it adds up quickly uh, yeah. when when you're trying to get, achieve that kind of scope and then you know going down to you know the newness which was a much much lower budget equally ambitious you know we shot i think 32 locations in 18 days on that all around los angeles but it was, you know, a lot of it's a relationship drama. So it's mostly actors in rooms, you know, talking about their relationship uh, more than anything. Yeah. So, you know, over the course of about, you know, really over the course of a year from the time I started Yellow Birds and I did To the Bone, the, the film, the third film we haven't yeah. spoken about yet. And yeah. Nunes, I felt like I explored sort of every <laughs> every pole of the indie filmmaking uh, landscape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, just just coming on to, to the bone, that's about a young woman dealing with anorexia. It's uh, Lily Collins and um, Keanu Reeves in that one. But uh, directed and written by Marty Noxon, who I, I adore and has huge geek credentials because she started yes. off on Buffy and Angel and all those sort of things. So, you know, um, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Marty's. So, so yeah, the, this was her first kind of big directorial film. Was it her first feature, I think? It, 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 was her first, it was her first feature. And, you know, like you, I was a huge fan of Marty going back to Buffy. I mean, I was a, a major Buffy geek when when that show was airing. So I'd been sort of tracking her television progress uh, over the years. And then when I was asked to line produce onto the bone, you know, jumped at the chance to work with her. And I would say of, of the three films, that was really the most, I'd say sort of magical experience just producing the film because it's, it's semi-autobiographical. I mean, Marty's, right. you know, fairly open about, you know, her battles with anorexia when, when she was a young woman. Yeah. And a lot of uh, what happened in the film follows her story that, that she went through. But the thing that was fascinating about it, it's a subject, one that I don't think there's really been a, a, a feature of any note covering, but you hear the log line and it, it sounds rather, you know, maudlin and, you know, uh, disturbing, honestly. Mm. It's, you know, who wants to see a movie about, you know, somebody suffering under the horrific anorexia? Yeah. And, you know, knowing knowing Marty and knowing her work like, like you do, I mean, she brings that sort of quirky humor to it <laughs> where every day, no matter how disturbing the subject matter was, I mean, it was, you know, we were laughing on set, high spirits all around, and it comes through in the film itself. I mean, these people suffer debilitating, you know, diseases, 
but that doesn't uh, affect their ability to laugh at life and laugh at their situation. And in a strange way, it's sort of the most uh, uplifting of of all the films that uh, I've got at Sundance this year. Yeah, I I sort of agree with you on that. It was one of those things that I saw the logline and was like, oh, I'm not I'm not sure about. It. But but the fact that Marty's involved and the fact that it's sort of it's got Keanu Reeves in it as well, who I know gets a lot of stick, but I I adore and think he's <laughs> yeah because he just mm-hmm. seems like such a lovely guy. And uh, and Lily Collins is great as well. So I, you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing that one. I think that that could be quite interesting. Um, just going back a bit on onto you, because uh, we sort of usually we talk about this at the start and we kind of skipped over it. But you are are down as being a line producer, which is one of those credits that goes past at the end of a movie, and you'll go, I have no idea what that job is. So, um, <laughs> what, what does a line producer actually do? Absolutely, no. This was. Uh... Uh, yeah, what I expected the first questions to be. But you can edit it in reverse so that uh, we open with it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the easiest way for me to describe it is assuming people know in general what, you know, the, the producer does on a film. The line producer is the person who is singly devoted to one picture and the physical production of that picture. So, you know, the producer I work for in many, many situations, they could on any given day be concerned with the film that's coming out in theaters that weekend, the film they're developing to shoot, you know, a year following the script that they're optioning, uh, right, and okay. the, you know, DVD proceeds and something that came out last year. Yeah. They've got a lot of different projects that they're having to simultaneously keep tabs on. Whereas, you know, as the line producer, I come on, I'm the first person hired uh, on, on any project. And I'm basically given day-to-day management of everything it takes to bring that project from script into post-production. And then usually I'll leave once uh, the film sort of, you know, once it's in the can, so to speak, and then shot. Right. But that involves take the script, break it down, figure out exactly how much it'll cost or how much you can make it for uh, by attaching a dollar amount to essentially every word in the script, you know, every sentence, you know, it's really easy for a writer to write, but every word in that script has some kind of dollar impact. Yeah. And so I translate that into a budget and then follow that up by hiring the crew, uh, selecting the location, you know, where, what state are we going to shoot in? What country are we going to shoot in making the deals on the equipment and then overseeing the day-to-day running of the set so that, you know, when there are major fires to put out, sometimes literally uh, I'm there to help <laughs> put those out. For me, I find that 90% of my job as a line producer is done in pre-production. It's really bringing on the right crew, finding the locations, making the deals so that by day one, if I've done my job right, the ship almost sails itself. There's always a few surprises that come up on any given day, but for the most part, everything's been prepped properly and 
you know, then the, the real creative crew can, can do their work. The DP, the production designer, the director are able to, without having to worry about, oh gosh, you know, we can't afford this thing. Cause we've all, we've, we've already figured it out in prep. Right. Yeah, so yeah. in a nutshell, I'd say, you know, that's what it is. It's really the producer who's the day-to-day producer supervising everything that goes on on set. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes sense. You've um, worked on a whole bunch of, of different films as well as the sort of things that we're sort of umbrellaing under indie I guess like the, the movies that are going to Sundance but you worked on some of the more kind of big budget more Hollywoody type stuff like the Ted movies yep. Million Ways to Die in the West which I loved uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Seth MacFarlane I think it's fantastic so Oh, great. Um, they're great films. You worked on American Hustle as well, unit production manager on that. You worked on Red State as well with Kevin Smith. I did. And I saw you at Cabot McMullen on a few weeks ago yes. on your program. Yes, uh, we did. Um, which was great. I, I listened to it just, uh, you know, as sort of prepped before <laughs> this interview. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, he, uh, he stole some of my good stories about red state that I could tell, <laughs> but, uh, but what's interesting was, you know, the last time I went to Sundance was when red state went to Sundance oh, in right. 2011 yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was probably one of the most memorable experiences of my, of my life. Because, uh, if you recall, there was, uh, the Westboro Baptist church had pledged to protest the screening of the film because it was kind of loose inspired by, uh, you know, Fred Phelps in the Westboro Baptist Church. So I have this surreal memory I'll never forget of being outside. We had, you know, Kevin and all of his, you know, fans who had shown up en masse to the premiere at Sundance had their own counter protest signs and standing right there with the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, you know, sort of counter protest in their protest with, you know, Kevin right at the forefront, you know, engaging with them, which I thought was one of the, you know, more brilliant things. Yeah. One of the things I love about Kevin is that, you know, on Twitter, he actually would engage, you know, some of the most, you know, bigoted, despicable people yeah. Yeah. Uh, online, but in a way that it didn't really give them cred but it treated them as human beings. Like, why are you so awful? And let's have a discussion about it rather than just insulting each other. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah, that was a great Sundance whenever, when, when that came out. Yeah. I, I seem to remember, I think there was some video of stuff of, of them, uh, of that happening. And, uh, I, I remember that happening. I, I mean, I, I love the fact that Kevin does that sort of stuff as well, you know, and the way he engages with people, I think he's, he's fascinating. So I, I've been a huge fan ever since just of, you know, the days of, of, uh, clerks and dogma and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The same. Yeah. And then you go on to work on, uh, stuff with Seth MacFarlane as well. Um, yes. Who, I've done a few things with Seth, which is, uh, you know, another, I feel really, really blessed because, in a lot of ways, you know, like any career, it's a matter, uh, a combination of luck and uh, I suppose a lot of hard work. But, you know, a lot of the filmmakers who I was always a, a huge fan of now I've ended up working with, uh, you know, in a producing capacity. So, you know, Kevin, Seth's another big one, obviously David O. Russell. But uh, yeah. yeah, Seth, I did the Ted movies with, uh, worked on A Million Ways. And I actually uh, spent a lot of time on the uh, Cosmos uh, reboot that uh, he executive ah. 
for Fox last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, uh, with Neil deGrasse and Tyson hosting. And, um, you know, that was really, uh, one, it was a great experience just because it was so different, you know, from making a movie or even making a TV show. It was <clears throat> trying to make a, a sort of high production value, big budget science documentary program <clears throat> for network TV, which mm. we really at that level, ha- I don't think had been done since the original Cosmos. Um, yeah. But the great thing about Seth was, you know, everyone knows him as the sort of family guy, Ted class clown, but he is such a science nerd and <laughs> devotes so much time and philanthropy to, you know, promoting science education and science foundations. I mean, he does it really showed me a side of Seth that I hadn't even seen working previously with him on like Ted, for example. And right. he was very involved with Cosmos. I mean, he he was incredibly involved with uh, that project from start to finish. I didn't realize realize he was he was involved in that. We um we interviewed um, Seth Reed a few weeks oh, ago yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we talked a bit about Cosmos yeah. then, and it aired over here, and I I watched it when it aired over here. It's a really great series. I love the little animation pieces and all that sort of stuff as well and the production design and it's lovely so yeah it's it's such a great show that yeah no that was great i will uh you know the animated pieces yeah i probably shouldn't publicly take credit for this and i'm sure 20 other people came up with the idea too but i like to think that i helped with that because if you remember the original Carl Sagan Cosmos, they had a lot of reenactments um, where, right. you know, it would be a guy in tights, you know, dressed up as Copernicus uh, over narration. And I remember we were actually making Ted. I said to the producer, you know, we should really think about doing these as animated segments instead and then lots and lots of time went by and discussions I wasn't involved with happened but uh, I was really happy that at the end of the day it ended up having a lot of animated segments and not really any segments of you know guys in tights playing famous scientists (laughs) so that worked out (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's a great series um it's it's worth looking up for people that haven't seen it. it it's really really good the other big movie that we haven't really mentioned was American Hustle as well, which you got involved yes. with. He's got to be probably the biggest project you've you've been involved in. You uh, unit production manager on that. So, w- what were you yep. actually doing on the film? Well, that's uh, another good question, and that's one I still don't entirely understand myself <laughs> the distinction because in typically in in features at least there'll be. On larger budget things, there'll be a line producer and a unit production manager. And then when I do something that's a lower budget or an indie film, I'm both. I get the line producer and the unit production manager credit. And the sort of delineation between duties, honestly, I don't entirely understand myself. It's... uh, other than, you know, on American Hustle, I'm reporting to a line producer because it's, I think it's just because the film is so much bigger and there's so many moving pieces that one individual can't possibly oversee every last uh, detail. So it's almost like a second in command to the line producer right. in those okay. cases. Yeah. And you, you think the amount, you know, compared to any other industry, it's, you know, a feature film will be spending tens of millions of dollars per week. It's sort of the biggest 
when you sort of amortize it over the length of a year, the amount that we spend on a weekly basis dwarfs most other companies. And yeah. as a company that we form, we spend a crap load of money in a very short period of time. And then the company gets dissolved as soon as the, the picture is finished. So right. just from a business perspective, it's sort of fascinating how much has to happen to get it all together, make the movie, and then sort of dissolve the entity. But uh, so I was doing basically the same thing on American Hustle, which was working on the budget, hiring the crew, um, you know, in that case, uh, on a bigger picture, maybe the line producer will hire the cinematographer and then the UPM will make the deals with all the camera department. So I'll right. hire the operators and assistant camera people and uh, those sorts of things. So it's kind of divide and conquer in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a preference for the sort of working on the smaller indie things or the big kind of blockbusters? You know, uh, that's a great question. I do. I'll say this. I almost inevitably find it a lot more enjoyable to work on the small films. It's usually a lot more lucrative to work on the big films. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a devil's bargain. It's, uh, you know, indies don't don't typically pay as well as big budget things, certainly, you know, like a TED or an American Hustle. But for that same reason, the attitude, uh, the vibe on set, I always find to be so much more enjoyable on the small things because people aren't there for a paycheck. Um, when, yeah. when people aren't making a lot of money, you know, they're there for other reasons besides just cashing checks. Yeah. And, uh, it's almost, uh, like a straight line curve, uh, you know, or it's universally proportional, the budget of the film and how much stress I have, uh, or, you know, <laughs> let's just say how enjoyable it is. Uh, it's directly yeah. proportional to the level of stress I have. So yeah, like, uh, you know, to the bones, a great example. Um, you know, we didn't have much money at all to make that. I mean, it's not, nobody is going to dump millions and millions of dollars into an anorexia, you know, dramedy, yeah. but every last person was there because they believed in the project or they were fans of Marty's or they were, you know, friends of Marty's and everyone was just really happy to be at work and happy to be making something meaningful. Every now and then there's an intersection where you get to do something that's a big budget and also has some, you know, something extra, you know, yeah. meaning about it. But, um, it, it doesn't always happen that way, way, certainly. But with American Hustle was, was I would say, enjoyable in a way. I mean, it was, in a lot of ways, the most stressful movie that I've worked on <laughs> and, uh, for you know any number of reasons. But I was a huge fan of David's uh, prior to that. And like the best directors out there, I mean, he's got his own idiosyncrasies, but it's all driven by just a, a passion for the story he's telling. Yeah. And there's... Uh, David works with the same company of, of crew on almost every movie and American hustle was my first experience working with David. And I understood why there's a bit of a learning curve, uh, <laughs> just adapting to the way he works. Yeah. You know, an example I'd like to use a lot is this is a very illuminating example. You know, when you're doing a budget for a film, you look at all the characters and you say, okay, this character's in these two scenes that all 
take place in one house. So I'm going to budget that actor to come out for a day because there's only a day's of script for them. Yeah. Working with David, I found out after having done the budget, he wants all of the actors there every day, whether they're in the scenes or not, <laughs> because he will on the fly just decide. I mean, he's constantly rewriting the script, rewriting making the movie in his head and he'll decide, Hey, you know, we, this character's wife should be here or we should bring the boss that we bumped into in the coffee shop at the beginning of the movie should show up in the scene. And if they're not around, if you've sent them back to LA or wherever they live, you know, you're in trouble. You better have those people around. So nuts. it ends up being incredibly expensive, but you know, a perfect example is uh, with Jeremy Renner's character in American Hustle. You know, he plays the mayor yeah, of yeah. Newark and you know, we cast his family and it's a fairly large family in, in the script, but they were only supposed to work for a handful of days. And David wanted them there every day. And then every scene that Jeremy was in, practically every scene that Jeremy was in, he wanted his family surrounding him. So they might not have lines, but... <laughs> I didn't quite get it at the time, but then you watch the movie and it's such a great character beat because he's this huge family man. It's like, gosh, he's in his, you know, his mayor's office and his wife's there, you know, yeah. helping arrange the pictures and his kids are playing in the corner and every place that the mayor showed up, he had this entourage of, of family around him that any other filmmaker or any other producer would have said, no, you can't, you yeah. can't have actors for six weeks on location that's insanely expensive but at the end of the day it really works for the character and I'm, I'm glad we were able to do it yeah wow that's really interesting i mean i i guess when you're david o russell you know if you say that's how you want to do things i guess people will go okay well that's what you know that's what you sign on for it's the yeah. other thing that's interesting is you know and this this is true with any big budget picture you know not just david is at the lower budget there's a sort of expectation that we can't do everything that yeah. my mind can imagine. Like there are budget constraints. And the thing that's tricky is that there's still very, even with the big budget, there's still huge budget constraints because everything's more expensive. Every decision costs more. Everybody's making more. But directors at that level, when you're talking about, you know, Russell or Scorsese or Spielberg or whatever, you need to deliver what they're asking for yeah, there's no saying no to those guys because, you know, who's going to say no to Steven yeah, Spielberg exactly. or David o. Russell on a big movie? So that's, you know, my challenge then becomes how can I figure out how to afford this without blowing up our budget? And then it becomes kind of a financial chess game saying, well, if we can shave a few extras off of this scene and maybe we can combine some locations over here and you can only say yes. And then it's all behind the scenes figuring out, oh, crap, how do I now pay for that? Yes, that I just <laughs> gave. So what would you say is the most interesting experience you've had whilst you've been working? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, I'd say uh, there's so many, so I'll just pick one. It's not necessarily the most, but, yeah. you know, working in, in Morocco on Yellowbirds was absolutely amongst the most interesting experiences I've had only because it was such a uh, alien experience for me. Yeah. Uh, shooting in a country I'd never been to before. I got a phone call and this, this happens often too in, uh, 
at least in my career, I think with a lot of line producers where I got a phone call, Hey, are you available? There's a picture that's shooting in Morocco. Oh, you're available. Great. You know, the plane leaves in three days and they start <laughs> shooting in six weeks. And, you know, we were, it was like a labor day uh, picnic here in Los Angeles with my family. I hung up the phone and said, Hey, can you start packing the bags? We're off to Morocco <laughs> in three days. And, uh, and you know, just, I mean, I, I like to, and I'm, I'm blessed in that I can take, take my family with me when I go on location. Yeah. yeah. So to be able to take the kids out of preschool, put them on a plane and say, Hey, we're living in this hotel outside of Marrakesh for the next several months to give them that experience is to me a lot about what really brings me joy about this business. It's like if I was working, you know, as a bank clerk somewhere, I wouldn't be able to do that, but yeah, you know, my kids are going to grow up. At least one of them is going to remember that time that they lived in a Moroccan palace for four months while <laughs> daddy was off playing with tanks and explosives every day. <laughs> That's very cool. So we have one final question, that, or rather two final questions that, that we always ask people. Because we cover a lot of TV shows on the site, the two questions we always end with is, what, firstly, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Oh, great question. Uh, the last TV show, I just finished watching Westworld. Uh, yeah, yes. Actually, I was watching that as it aired. Uh, unbelievable. Really loved it. Um, yeah. And uh, Atlanta I'm into right now, which uh, is, Donald Glover series, which yes. is yeah. my wife and I really enjoy. So I think yeah. those are the two current, uh, currently yeah. on the roster. I get so busy. I can only really slot in one film at, or one series at a time yeah. Uh, yeah. before I can move on to the next. So I have a huge backlog given the amount of amazing TV that's being made these days. Yeah. Yeah. There is a phenomenal amount of good stuff. Um, Atlanta, I've, I've literally just started watching and before I, I came on air, I was just posting something on the website because the second season apparently is delayed until 2018. So <laughs> yes, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. So, uh, and the second question, if you had the opportunity to work on any project, uh, so in your case, I think film or TV, past, present or future, what would it be? Oh, that's a great one. I will say television because given the amount of quality television being made these days, it's actually a move I'm really interested in making is to doing more television. Honestly, there's a producer named Mark Johnson who, uh, you know, did Breaking Bad. It's uh, yeah. Better Call Saul now. Yeah. I would love nothing more than to get into that orbit. I think I think the, the shows that him and obviously Vince Gilligan, the creative genius behind it. Yeah. Uh, the work those guys are doing is, to me, is so far and away better than any TV show, better than any movie. It's um, that would be kind of the be all end all for me. Yeah. Yeah, those they're good picks. The uh, Breaking Bad comes up quite a lot when we ask that question. <laughs> I bet, I bet. <laughs> it's so, really the gold standard. It's going to be a long time before yeah. a show can uh, can can really compete. Yeah. Thank you for for coming on and spending a bit of time talking. It's been a real pleasure, and it's it's nice to know what a line producer actually does now. Anyway, <laughs> it's good. I know we uh, with so much content being made, there's a shortage of line producers. So maybe some in your audience can be inspired to uh, to pursue it. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you get into line producing? Just we should probably throw that in there as well. Well, I will a, a really short story. I'll tell you because uh, it was. 
sort of a crazy circuitous route. I, I went to film school. Uh, I did uh, at USC, I did the grad program there, uh, came out broke and <laughs> just needing a job anywhere. And a buddy of mine said that they were hiring an accounting clerk on a film. And I said, what is that? I didn't, they didn't really teach you about production accounting at film school. I didn't even know it existed as a job, but I ended up working as a production accountant for a number of years, which is basically what it sounds like. You do the payroll for the crew, you do, you know, pay for the equipment, yeah, yeah, uh, that sort of thing. But the trick, what I did is as an accounting clerk, you're basically filing all day. You're, there's reams of paper that cross your desk. You input them into the computer, file them away. But instead of just filing them, I would read everything. So I, you know, <laughs> read George Clooney's directing contract. I would read the vendor agreements. I would read the union contracts that we were signatory to. And through the course of doing that for a few years, uh, it was actually on Red State. I was hired as the production accountant and we were having a hard time finding a production manager. And uh, the producer, uh, John Gordon, who I will forever be indebted to, I said, Hey John, why don't, why don't I do it? And he said, Hey, what the heck do I not? And, uh, you know, the rest is history. That was my first job in production management and, wow. uh, just kept going from there. Wow. That's awesome. So yeah, read things when they come across your desk. Don't just yes, sign them. That's your Exactly. Advice. You got to read things. Don't sign them. That's the secret. It just be a sponge. It's like whether you're a PA or whatever, there's so much to learn on set if you're paying attention beyond your your own job duties uh you know you'll advance quickly yeah yeah awesome all right well thanks for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you good luck with all the films at sundance i hope they do really well for you thank you so much david it's been a pleasure being on your program and uh hey thank, thanks so much <laughs> cheers bye that's what a line producer does <laughs> Yes, that is what a live producer does. Now I know. See, I had them producing lines and that, that's not it. Oh, so that was the interview with Shirkaba. Next up, we have some air date information. To start off with some new renewals this week, uh, Doc Martin, which we had down as cancelled because everybody said it was cancelled after its eighth season or ending after its eighth season. They've now come back yesterday and announced that, or a couple of days ago, and said that they're going to renew it for a ninth season and that's going to be its final season. Well, we'll believe that when we see it. So, so it may be its final season, but we'll, we'll see. So it's, uh, it's doing a ninth season now as well. Uh, Crystal Moses we mentioned has got picked up again Hor American Horror Story we also mentioned earlier that's got renewed for two more seasons I think it puts it up to nine I think that is it's eight or nine I can't remember whether we mentioned this last week but Flash Arrow Supergirl Legends have all been renewed Supernatural's been renewed again Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin were also renewed as well. CW went through a massive renewal spree, so uh, those have all been picked up. And there is a show which I think goes out on Amazon over here called Beyond. That's also been picked up for a second season as well. Oh. Changes. There is a show called Zed, The Beginning of Everything, which is coming to Amazon Prime on the 27th of January. It stars Christina Ricci as Zelda before meeting her future husband, F. Scott's Fritz Gerald. I, I don't know much more about that. I think you added that one in. So, <laughs> yeah, I added that one in. I mean, obviously, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's writing is 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 very very good. But I didn't know anything about his personal life. I don't know why his wife Zelda is 
uh, worthy of a series. Perhaps she in her own right was a particularly interesting person, but we'll find out. Yes, yeah. So uh, that's uh, Zed, the beginning of everything, coming to Amazon Prime on the 27th of January, that. Um, next up, we have Supergirl, Flash, Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. Because nobody ever has asked this question of you, <laughs> can I just ask it just to, so we can be absolutely clear? <laughs> can I do it without laughing? <laughs> Will the will the crossover work? When will the crossover be? Are they going to crossover? Um, and why are we not in America? Yes. Um, so there is a crossover coming up. Uh, it will be between Flash and Supergirl. In actual fact, this should work a lot better than it ever has before. So they've the dates have jumped around quite a lot over the last week. They now seem to have settled. I mean, this isn't necessarily final, but this seems to be what they're now doing. Supergirl is, will return on the 31st of January at 8pm. So that's moved to a Tuesday. Flash will air for the rest of its third season on the 31st of January at 9pm. So that's going to be on Tuesday as well, but straight after Supergirl. Then there's nothing on Wednesday anymore. Legends of Tomorrow is staying on Thursday, and that's going to be at 8pm on the 2nd of February, and then Arrow will follow it at 9pm on the Thursday. So they've basically stacked them up. So Tuesdays and Thursdays will now be DC days. I think that's to clear that 8 p.m. slot for other shows on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Mm. So after all those, we have uh, Scandal Season 6. That is returning on the 2nd of February. We have that. There is a new show. That's the Sky Living Scandal Season 6. There is a new show called Santa Clarita Diet, which is a terrible name for a show because I'd had emails come through for it and sort of ignored it because I thought, oh, well, it's some diet show. Mm. And uh, it's not until you actually go and read through the description of it that you discover it's a horror comedy about a realtor called Sheila who becomes a zombie and apparently wants to eat everybody except her husband, Joel, who's played by uh, Timothy Oliphant. Which does not fit with the title no uh, other than they they live in santa clarita so it's the santa clarita diet Mm. because she's a zombie but uh, yeah it's it's a title that really hides the content so that's on on netflix from 3rd of february at well it'll arrive at 8 8 a.m because that's when things arrive on netflix but um Santa Clarita Diet, that's called. If you're into horror comedies and like Drew Barrymore, that could be one to go and watch out for. Once Upon a Time, second half of that, this might not be correct, although it should be, because uh, now we've got the US air date, so we, we, it should be back on the 6th of March, but it depends whether Netflix stick to what they were doing previously, but should be back on the 6th of March on Netflix for... Uh, second half of season six of Once Upon a Time. Into the Badlands, season two of that, looks like it's coming in March as well to Amazon Prime. I I was looking back at that. I think the first season of that went out in 2015. It's like December 2015 or something that went out. So it's been a bit of a wait for that one. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be March for season two of Into the Badlands. Mm -hmm. That's on Amazon Prime. Uh, iZombie, more zombies. Season three of that should arrive at some point in April, we think. 
don't know exactly when, but that will come to Netflix for iZombie. And Gorilla, they released a trailer for this, which is a co-production between Sky Atlantic and Showtime. It's about a radical underground cell in the 1970s London. It's airing on Sky Atlantic on the 13th of April. Idris Elba, he says starring Idris Elba, that's slightly untrue. Idris Elba is in it, but he's not actually the lead in it. I think he's... He's in it like Sean Bean is in Game of Thrones. (laughs) <laughs> yes at this point um no he's he he is he has got a role in the show um but he's not one of the lead characters i don't think i think he actually developed it so he is kind of behind the scenes somewhere he's a producer or something so game in a way because the synopsis could literally say anything if it had Idris Elba in it i'd be well, watching yes. it yeah, exactly. Um, so, but he he is in it. He does have a part in the show. So, uh, okay, that's one to watch out for. That's called Gorilla. It's on Sky Atlantic on the thirteenth of April. Next week on TV, you have Yumi and Her, which is uh, on Netflix for a first season. That's on the eighteenth of January. That's about three people living together in America. I think you wrote that description. <laughs> yeah, that, that that may need a bit more fleshing out. <laughs> I don't know any more about it than that. So, <laughs> um, so there's Yumi Her. That's our season one of that is Netflix Tasty to January. Bones, the final season of that, there was some very interesting interviews going around with that at the uh, press conference. Because if you remember, Bones actually ending this season, but weren't entirely sure whether we were going to get this season either because they're in the process of suing Fox, who are their network. (laughs) So... Because uh, there was some arguments about payment and stuff. So the producers of Bones, which is um, Emily and uh, Dashnell and David Baranis, uh, are actually in the process of suing the network or were in the process of suing the network. So we were never entirely sure whether this season was going to actually happen. And they, they were very categorically saying it wasn't our decision to end it. So, But you can't really blame Fox for that, given no, the and bad blood. Even, even with the stuff going on behind the scenes, 12 seasons is, you know, it's enough. Yeah, I think. yeah, exactly. And at least, you know, Fox have come back and given them the chance to actually end it. It's a shortened season, but yeah, F- Bones season 12 returns. It's going to be on the 20th of January on Sky Living. So uh, that's that. If you're a Bones fan, it apparently wraps things up fairly well, or they're saying it does. So we'll see. Frontier, which is coming to Netflix. I think this is another Netflix co-production. It stars Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones and DC's new Aquaman. It's an adventure drama set around the 18th century North American fur trade, apparently. So it's going to involve probably Jason Momoa grunting a lot and having long hair. (laughs) So... uh, but if you're a fan of Jason Momoa, and I'm sure there are a lot of you out of there, out there, uh, Frontier, that's called, it's on Netflix, 20th of January. Call the Midwife is back for its sixth season. That's on the 22nd of January on BBC One at 8pm. Homeland returns for its sixth season as well. That's on the 22nd of January at 9pm. I, I just some thoughts on Homeland. I mean, it, it's obviously uh, originated from uh, essentially a remake in its first series. Yes. Israeli series, which if I remember Prison. correctly, we got, we got the first series of, but then never the, the second right. one. Yeah. Um, which is which is very good, but 
obviously not meant originally for American audiences and therefore not quite so quick paced. Yeah. But now that we're into not from season five, season six, Homeland, it's becoming considerably less like it's it, yeah. it's original and a bit more like kind of twenty four. Yes, that sort of thing. Which, given it's got all the same producers behind it, is no great surprise. <laughs> it's it's no it's no great surprise. No, um, in a way, I actually like it better like this. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that, that's sort of looking looking forward to Homeland a, a, a lot. Yes, it's it's a great great show. I, I they've really done well with that, so I'm looking forward to that coming back. Uh, she's apparently carries back in America at this point and it has some stuff about it's set i think just after the inauguration of a new president uh so uh, which is which is which is which is exactly exactly yeah. like season one of 24 isn't it or, or thereabouts yeah so you know and and mirrors real life events um, so we'll we'll see apart from being in the <laughs> in the show the uh the lady one rather than the guy so <laughs> so there is a female president and finally we have aircraft investigation is back for Season 16B, uh, we believe, uh, but there's there's all sorts of confusion over the uh, the numbering of that. It's, I think it might be known as season 15 over here, but yeah, it's it's back anyway. 23rd of January at the ni- at 9 p.m. That returns. It's it's not the only confusion in, in uh, air crash investigation or maybe as it's known in at least Canada, um, because uh, we were watching this quite recently, um, and there was it was an episode I think about a Korean air crash and. Obviously, they're reenactments, and obviously they use actors, and they're not filming the actual events yeah. in most cases. <laughs> We're watching this thing, and my wife quite innocently pointed out that that particular pilot had died already three times this week. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a very, very unlucky man. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, obviously they use, I suppose, a pool of of, of actors to play. Yes, uh, pilots and, and and cabin crew and things, but um, you know yeah. it's not meant to be funny. But that was funny. Possibly, possibly need to expand their base slightly. Um, <laughs> aircraft, bit, bit. So yeah, that's aircraft investigation. That's back for whatever the next new season is on National Geographic on the twenty third of January at nine pm. Looking beyond that, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff coming and returning i mean we've got in the next few months we've got line of duty back we should have fargo back 24 sort of um yes back. fortitude which is which was one of my favorites from last year albeit it's on a channel i don't have and i have to wait till it comes out on disc but that looks like it's going to be brilliant again yes um, and what else we've got uh, uh lucky man go- we've got agents of shield a- agents yeah. of shield yeah. agents of shield i should say is coming in what they refer to as week five which is the week starting the 28th of january we don't know the exact date yet we shall find out later this week but it is coming basically in what where are we one sometime in the next two weeks sometimes the first week of end of january first week of february it will be arriving so and we've got ssgb coming up yes that's coming soon the bbc which is you know you wait for one what if the nazis won tv (laughs) show uh, and and all of a sudden you get two but unlike in the actual war um the americans actually got there first yes very true So this is this is soon on the BBC, but no more details. And the BBC is notoriously protective of its long term air dates, I think, aren't they? Yeah. And that just leaves a couple of my Channel Five favourites, Gotham and Person of Interest, both returning. Um, I don't think we have any more no. information on 
Do we? Gotham, there is a wait on Gotham. When I asked them back in December whether it will be coming early in the new year, they said it will be later in the new year. So we don't know how much later. So it's. I think we still have it down as early, but they. I think I asked them whether it was coming in January and they said, no, it'll be later. But we don't know how much later. So I think part of the reason for that is they've had two breaks this year in the US. So it's gone on a second break now. And I think they're trying to squish it all together. And uh, it's... Which is a lot better. Yeah, which is is the better way to air it. But um, yeah, because of all the breaks in the US this year, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. having to delay it and delay it. So... Yeah. Um, lastly, but... I, well, lastly, from my notes anyway, but by no means least, the TV news of, of the week, of the century, of, of the millennium, the Real Housewives of Orange County is back for its God knows what series on the 23rd of January at half past I don't care. <laughs> yes, we do get asked about that show sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure I saw there was something else. Oh, yes. The, another series that I forgot to add in. Second series of The Clangers has been commissioned as well. So for those of you with small children or those of you who are small children inside, The Clangers will be returning for another 26 11-minute episodes, apparently. So that's good to watch out for. Um, we should probably get going. So if you want to see any of the latest air date information, you can visit the website at geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see the the latest air dates. You can get in touch with your questions and comments by emailing podcast at geektown.co.uk. You can leave a message on the website post. You can find us at Geektown on Twitter at facebook.com forward slash geektown, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown, or on Instagram at geektownuk. That's everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.